Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined, as always, by a resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Good. Tired, but glad to be recording. You know, it's that it's that time of year, school semesters are me. starting. But yeah. Uh, and <laughs> no. so, yeah, you're not in, you're not in school, but I am, I'm starting to write my thesis. So that's a nice, huge project that takes take all my year? time. My about right? family, y- y- two semesters. So not gotcha. quite gotcha. like a calendar year, but a school year. Um, so yeah, it'll take me two semesters to get that done. So a lot of work, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of organizing, I'm taking a Greek class too to prepare for PhD work, so that's always fun. Learning uh, other languages. I've also got to learn German and French, so I'm Why? trying to figure out if I want to go ahead and Why try to those? start going down that path. Uh, so German in particular, um, the a lot of religious sure. works, yeah, I'm fine. With were that. produced in Germany, so a lot of critical but scholarship began there. So to do real in-depth research, you need to be able to read some of those yeah. works that were written in German. That's fine, but why French? What's that? Same principle. Really? Well, yeah, yeah. Not uh, as important as German. But there really? are some things written in French. Okay. I didn't know that. So there you go so all of that going on and then my family decided that they like now not taking vacations during the summer and going in september right after the summer mm-hmm. so uh i've got a vacation coming up which is nice but it's like i've got so much to do do i really have time to leave for a week probably not you'll do so it anyway it's yeah. like relaxing yeah. and stressful at the same time so tired just bought a house, trying to move into the house, having remodel work done on the house, yeah. along with everything else. So anything that could be going on is going on in my life right now. And um, then it'll all get over with, and then you can do so, other things. So that's good. There you go. I've had some health, my, mm. some <laughs> health flares, too, with my... Uh, so, you know, it's literally everything that could happen is... Happening. I'd say you could get so, out and go play golf, but... You got a storm coming, so. <laughs> oh, it won't stop raining down here, so no, I can't. I I, I haven't golfed oh, in months. Rough. It's still just hot here, so. It won't. Playing all sorts of disc golf. <laughs> so, for all of you listening, you're welcome that I took the time to be here to record this uh, We are grateful for it, otherwise episode. it would just be people listening to me talk about this stuff. I'm not sure anybody wants that, so. Um... <laughs> Not really, though. I, I really love this. So the, the, uh, this is good because yeah. we're closing up a yeah, long we've been series about this of stuff, stuff all we've been year talking about. Uh, with these, these episodes. And uh, this is our, we're reaching the conclusion of this series. It's not that we'll never refer back to it or uh, things like that, but kind of tying all of our, our pieces up. We began in Genesis. We found our way now into this episode here with Revelation. And most of this is going to be really the the wrap-up, it kind of ties all of the threads that we've looked at um, together, uh, all the pieces that we've brought up in different books, Old and New Testament, 
the the gospels, letters, prophets, all all that stuff going to come together here uh, in Revelation uh, as we tie up the new creation theology stuff here. Uh, I want to remind you, as always, if you've got ideas for future episodes, topics you'd like for us to cover, you can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, please get a hold of us as well at uh, Thinking Theologically on our Facebook page, uh, and go to thinkingtheologically.org as well for all sorts of website stuff, uh, articles, and other episodes that maybe you've missed. This is number 45, which is it's crazy. We've done a lot of these, yeah. A lot more than I thought. A lot. So that'll be good. We're getting closer and closer to 100. I don't know why that matters, but maybe we'll do something fun for the 100. Yeah. We'll do something special. You'll probably be in the middle of a whole bunch of other things that are super important. You have to finish your doctorate by episode 100. There we go. Then we'll celebrate. Well, I think my PhD program is going to take me you really six years, so I don't see that happening. Uh, but but I may be able to record an episode cool. from abroad cool. if I do PhD work overseas. One of and my maybe in German or trips French. record from. <laughs> it should be. Yeah, we'll we'll do it. We'll celebrate the hundredth by doing an overseas episode Perfect. in another language. Hey, I got a. Hey, so nobody gets recording. anything out of it. <laughs> Mine is all. Okay. You good? I am recording, yeah, so whenever you want to start us back up again. All right, with all that said, let's, let's tie all these pieces up, uh, jumping into the easiest of all of these books uh, to cover. Notoriously... Uh, <laughs> notoriously simple book, first work for any guy, first book anybody covers when they go to a new preaching job, all that stuff. Uh, Revelation. Revelation. I, I'm making fun of it, but it's really not as hard as a lot of it, uh, a lot of it is made out to be. It's very symbolic. There's a lot of, you know, apocalyptic language and all this, but it's not, it's not random. It's not new to the Bible. Uh, there's just a lot of it, and if we're not familiar with how to to navigate through it, then that's where it becomes really challenging. And it doesn't help that we've had a lot of people take advantage of the symbolism in you know any number of ways, uh, taking it all sorts of directions. So I'm going to do our best in talking about various pieces of the the language uh, here in the book to be faithful to the author, uh, John, and some of the other things. That's why we looked at his gospel previously. Uh, to be faithful to his writing, uh, as well as seeing these images that uh, these phrases that have been used in other images and other places that we've brought up, uh, and so I think you'll be able to see through this discussion how all of those threads kind of connect together and converge right here uh, in this book. Before we get into those, of course, Spencer, tell us a little bit about uh, the background of Revelation. If you were going to simplify this book for us, what's Revelation all about? Yeah, so you mentioned it, it's very symbolic, which it is. Most of the, not everything, uh, but most of what you read in Revelation is symbolic, not meant to be taken literally, but symbolizing and referring to other things, uh, which is very much apocalyptic in nature. As you also mentioned, it's the way apocalyptic works uh, tend 
tended uh, during the the first century and the time previous in the previous centuries uh, to write in the symbolic kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a little bit about apocalypticism. I think we'll have some article related stuff coming out at some point on that as well that might help make uh, some more sense of some of that apocalyptic stuff we've been talking about. Um, but when you get behind the symbolism, you figure out what's going on. The, the primary purpose of Revelation is to be an encouragement to Christians who are being persecuted or Christians who are being killed for their faith. And that's the context into which John is writing, into a context of persecution. And he's trying to encourage and to strengthen the Christians who are facing this kind of persecution. And in Revelation, John does this by providing three major sources of hope for the Christians that are being persecuted or being killed because of their faith. The first source of hope that Revelation provides is that Christians who die for their faith will be rewarded by God. So in other words, their death was not in vain, right? You think about Christians who have had loved ones, family, friends, who have died because of their faith. You know, it would be an encouragement to remember they didn't die in vain, uh, that there is a reward for their faithfulness, for their life in Christ that they will receive from God because they held on to their faith, even to the point of death. Uh, That's also an encouragement for Christians who are being persecuted, who are still alive, because you might have the question of, well, why should I remain faithful? If I'm going to be persecuted for it, or why should I remain faithful if I might die because of it? And so John in Revelation is reminding, well, there's a reward. There's something good that you will get to receive because you remain faithful. The second primary point of hope in Revelation is that God will eventually defeat evil once and for all. So eventually, good will triumph over evil. Eventually, sin and death will be no more. Satan is a major figure in Revelation. Satan being the cause of the evil, the persecution, the killing that's going on and reminding Christians, eventually God's going to defeat Satan. He's going to defeat sin and evil and death. A good is eventually going to win. And that's connected with that idea of remember the reward that you're going to receive from from God, that the way life is now is not the way life is always going to be, that there's something better. There's a reward waiting. There's a time when God's going to defeat all these uh, evils that are in the world. So in other words, remain faithful now, despite the difficulty, despite the persecution, despite maybe even having to die for it, because there are better things yet ahead. And that leads to the third and still connected hope that Revelation provides to these Christians. And that is that the fullness of this reward for faithful Christians and the fullness of this this defeating of evil, this life free from the powers of sin and death, uh, life where Satan has been overthrown, all of that is found in heaven. And we've redefined heaven Uh, And we'll see that in the description of of heaven, kind of connected back to the other things that we've talked about. 
But when you think about the way we typically talk about heaven, eternal life is probably a more biblical way to think about the hope that Revelation gives. If there's a second life, there's an eternal life. That's where our reward is. That is where good has triumphed over evil. And that's what we're waiting for. And so those well connected are kind of the three places of hope for Christians that are suffering. This hope in heaven where we'll be rewarded, uh, where uh, our death will not be in vain, where God will have defeated evil. And that leads Revelation to culminate in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 with, in 22, you have the conclusion of it as well. But the beginning of Revelation 22, Revelation 21, we get an image, a picture of heaven, right? So there's this place, this reward that we're waiting to, that we're seeking after. That's why we're we're remaining faithful. This hope that God's going to defeat evil. He's going to overthrow Satan. That's all going to take place fully in heaven, in the next life, in eternal life. Well, what's that going to be like? What's that going to look like, That this next life? And that's where Revelation ends, in 21 and the beginning of 22, with an image of this is what it looks like. This is what heaven's going to look like. This is what eternal life is going to look like. Again, in very much symbolic language, um, because I think we can't fully understand what exactly heaven is going to entail, at least not fully. Right. Um, but... John, as we're going to see here in a moment, is going to capitalize on the language that we've seen throughout Scripture in his description of heaven and how there's a there's an interesting phenomenon, and maybe you've seen it as we've kind of moved through, of the way that language works and how language points to things beyond the mere words, Right? You think of poetry, you think of good writing, you think of things like that where language creates something that's bigger than just the words that are used. And so you have this language throughout Scripture, like new heavens and new earth, of temple, of new Jerusalem, and they're used in different places. But when you pick, when John uses that language, he's saying, think about all the imagery and the contexts throughout the Bible that use this language. And John's kind of saying, let's bring all of this together to create this big picture, this big world of what heaven, of what eternal life is going to look like. And John does that by using language that's used in Genesis and Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, images used in the Gospels and Peter and all those different places that we've looked at thus far. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the biggest thing to stress with all of this is not to get into the not to get into the book of Revelation and go, oh, it's it's so difficult. What do these guys know? Uh, that as if more age is going to make it easier to understand. the The biggest principle to have with Revelation is uh, you mentioned the phrase eternal life, and that's not. Uh, life will be something that we do bring up uh, in some of our phrases, but uh, thinking of heaven in those terms of evil being defeated, uh, Peter's language was uh, where righteousness dwells, uh, but John very much is focused on eternal life, and it is something that isn't just um, quantitative, but also something qualitative, as you said, 
the defeat of evil. It's just God and righteousness in these things. Uh, and so there's a quality to that. And then John also says uh, there is a present to it now, not just a future to those things, because we're a part of what God is doing now uh, to bring about the end of evil and unrighteousness and the reign of righteousness only. And that's the big overall background picture of the Christians in Revelation that are being persecuted and even killed for their belief to have this reminder of, here's what is ultimately going to occur, and it's going on now. Uh, And he uses these phrases that uh, for these Christians, they would have gone, oh yeah, Peter has said things like that. And Paul said things like this, and Jesus said stuff like that, and Isaiah said this, and it's in our, you know, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. This language is here. God's in control. God's going to bring it about. Keep moving forward and all of this. That's what Revelation is. It is using those word pictures, pieces from other places in the Bible. We often just go to Daniel with Revelation. Daniel's a good book to go to. It's apocalyptic. At least half of it is. Uh, and uh, But John's trying to draw on a lot more uh, to bring about this encouragement to all of these Christians here. Uh, so let's get into the phrases. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things John says uh, in trying to encourage Christians uh, about heaven and what it will be and what it will be like and all of this? Uh, what's the image of heaven that he gives to us in uh, chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation? Yeah, so when when Revelation culminates in this idea of what will heaven be like, uh, this is what John says. Uh, Revelation 21, John begins the chapter by saying, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. So when I read that, If you've listened to some of our other discussions about new creation, you probably picked up on some of the language that we've already talked about before. John's image of heaven begins by describing it as new heaven and a new earth. That's interesting because, again, we've kind of tried to redefine what heaven means and the way that Scripture uses heaven. And it's not... Mm -hmm this mystical place floating on the clouds that we wait to escape earth and and go to. It's talking about where God is as opposed to earth where we are and this overlap of heaven and earth. And that's why we see the way that scripture talks about eternal life or heaven is with the description new heavens and new earth. Uh, That's the way it likes to talk about it because it's awaiting this idea of heaven and earth becoming one once again. And so John, when he describes heaven, doesn't say this is what heaven's going to be like, but this is what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like for, John says, because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In other words, 
the way things are now, the evil, the brokenness has gone away. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And that takes us back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It takes us back to what we looked in Isaiah, when Isaiah awaits God rectifying the evil of the world by bringing about new heavens and new earth. That takes us back to what we looked at in the writings of Peter, when Peter, again, is awaiting for God's judgment to come, for things to be made right, for evil to be overthrown. And how did Peter describe that? Well, he described it as new heavens and a new earth. John's doing the same thing. The Christians he's writing to are suffering. They have this hope of God's going to overcome these forces of evil. Well, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to look like new heavens and a new earth. It's going to look like creation in the way that God created and designed it at the beginning. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2, heaven and earth were one. In other words, God was dwelling with his creation. He was dwelling with humanity. Uh, Everything was ordered like God intended for it to. Everything, every being was living in the way that God created and designed them to live and to operate and to work and to interact. That's the world that God created at the beginning. Sin, as we've talked about, messes all that up, but we have the hope of that being restored. And so when John's reminding his audience of that hope, he says, we have this hope of new heavens and new earth, of heaven and earth becoming one once again, of the creation operating once again in the way that God created and designed it to. Uh, He says that the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In other words, the way that life is now, the evil and brokenness of our world is gone. And we've returned back to that Genesis 1 stage of the place where God is, the place where we are being the same, everything operating in the way that God intended it. But then it's interesting, John goes on and says, and the sea was no more. You may remember uh, when we were talking about Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 1 begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, hovering over the sea. We talked about how the sea was an image of chaos and how what God does in Genesis 1 is he brings order to the chaos. Uh, He orders the creation and gets rid of the chaos one way to think about what sin has, what sin did to God's perfect creation is God took chaos and he created order and sin brought chaos back into the creation. And so for John to say the sea was no more is to say that the chaos that has been added back has been done away with. In other words, God has brought order to the creation once again. In the same way that God brought order to creation in Genesis 1... God is going to bring order to the chaos of the brokenness of our world once again Hmm. when eternal life, when the new heavens and new earth are brought in. And again, that's back to Genesis language. In other words, John is saying that God is going to do the same thing that he did in Genesis 1 and 2. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where God is dwelling with his creation, where the creation is functioning in the way that God intends for it to by bringing order to the chaos that was previously there. Uh, That's the way Genesis 1 opens up. That's the way the Bible ends with John saying, that's what God's going to do again. God's going to create once again. God's going to make new heavens and a new earth where the chaos, the evil, the brokenness is done away with. That moves him on to just continue to capitalize on the language that we've already seen in this theme of new heavens and a new earth. 
uh, in verse 2, John says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, We've talked about this idea of new Jerusalem. Uh, That's language that we see in Isaiah as well. Isaiah and looking forward to God, dealing with evil, the evil of the world, looks not only to new heavens and a new earth, but to a new Jerusalem. And we talked about this, the symbolism of the new Jerusalem is Jerusalem is where the temple was. The temple is where God dwelled. And so the idea of a new Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God. So John is saying that the dwelling place of God came down out of heaven. So again, we've talked about how heaven and earth overlap, the place where God is and the place where we are. The idea of the new Jerusalem coming down is to say that heaven and earth are going to become one once again. God, like he did at the very beginning, is going to dwell within his creation. And it's interesting that John says that the new Jerusalem comes from heaven to earth. We think about going to heaven, leaving earth and going up to heaven. But the image that scripture gives, the image that John gives is not us going up to God, but God coming down to us, God coming down to to earth, to dwell with us. And again, that connects us back to Genesis. We talked about how Genesis 1 is the creation of a temple. God's creating a cosmic temple. The universe is God's temple where God was meant meant to dwell. Sin messed all that up. Then you had the temple with Israel where God dwelled in their midst, but we're still not back to Genesis 1. God's still dwelling kind of with his people. There's a lot of separation there. Um, We skip forward to Jesus. We saw in John's gospel, Jesus comes and tabernacles among us. So you have the idea God has come to dwell with his people once again, free from the separations and the divisions that existed in the temple. So we're getting closer to Genesis 1, but we're not quite there yet with Jesus as the temple, as God dwelling among us. But when we get to Revelation 21, John is saying there's coming a day where we're going to get all the way back to Genesis 1 where the new Jerusalem, where the temple of God is going to come down and God is going to dwell with his people. And that's what John says in the next verse. In verse three, he says, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. There's John just outright saying it. God's going to come and dwell forever with his people. That's a fulfillment of Uh, John's probably thinking of the prophecy that God made through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, that God would dwell within his people, that they would be his people, and that he will be his God, that there would be a renewal of the covenant. And so you have John referencing back to Jeremiah, but also, again, that's temple language, God dwelling, which takes us back to the temple creation of Genesis 1, takes us back to the temple in the Old Testament. It takes us back to John's presentation of Jesus as the temple. And like I said, we get closer and closer to what was intended at the beginning. And John's saying, there's coming a day when we're going to get all the way back. And that kind of culminates uh, if you skip to chapter 22 and verse 2. We're having a very much more physical description at this point of what's going on, what's going to be going on in heaven. And we get the image of the tree of life. Uh, John says that the tree of life will be there in heaven. Again, where does that take us back? That takes us back to the Garden of Eden, where the tree of life was. It takes us back to Genesis, right? What's the result of sin? 
in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it's death, right? We actually have done an episode about where human beings created immortal. I would encourage you to listen to that if you haven't. We talk about the tree of life and immortality and how all that seems to be working in the story of Genesis 1 through 3. Um, but it brings about death. And death is one of is, is the greatest weapon that sin has at its disposal. And John is saying death will be no more in heaven. That the tree of life will return to earth, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, everything will be recreated in the way that God intended for it to. So again, mm. as our Bible ends with this image of heaven, this image of eternal life, an image of where our ultimate hope is found, and the language that's used there is the language that we've seen throughout the Bible. It's the language of Genesis 1. It's the language of Isaiah 65 and 66. It's language, Peter's language that John used in his gospel. And in Revelation, John's bringing that all together to describe this is what eternal life is going to be like. This is what heaven's going to be like. And like I said at the beginning, it creates a bigger picture than just the words because it's bringing in all of these other contexts that we see throughout of Scripture which are in essence saying it's going to be your return to the beginning, that the story of the Bible, the story of God is circular. It began with the heavens and the earth, and it's going to end with new heavens and new earth. The Bible ends in the same way that it begins with new creation, with God creating heavens and earth once again, creating order out of chaos once again, overthrowing the evil and the sin and the brokenness of our world to come and dwell with his creation once again and order his creation in a way that's functioning in the way that he created and designed it to because sin and death and evil and Satan are done away with. And that's how God's story ends. It's how the Bible ends. And ultimately, that's how our stories are going to end. As Christians, as participants in God's story, we make God's story our story. And so in our stories end in the way that God's story does with new creation. That's where John is telling his audience to place their hope. And that's where we as followers of Christ also should place our hope in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth. I've got nothing to add to uh, to the way that you ended it there. So. I was going to say something about bookends and, and you just, you already got it all. So I'm going to kick it over to the people that are listening to this. Uh, if there is uh, any comments or questions that you have that maybe we didn't cover or things that came up uh, throughout uh, either our episodes or some of your own study that you've gone and done on uh, beyond this. And by the way, please do that. Uh, go read through uh, the larger sections of Revelation and see these these pieces here. Go back and read through uh, the uh, creation narrative. Go th read through uh, Isaiah. We referenced Jeremiah. We didn't uh, specifically cover Jeremiah, I don't think. Um, temple language is also in Ezekiel, which very much has uh, some roots here. 
uh, in the Revelation. So uh, go and do further study, and if you have questions about these things, be more than happy to talk about all of that sort of stuff, uh, because we're trying to think theologically. That's that's the point, and uh, what Spencer ended with there of uh, seeing these bookends of uh, how our Bible begins and then how it ends and uh, how we fit into that bigger picture of what is going on uh, from beginning to the end uh, is what thinking theologically is all about. So uh, send us those comments or questions, uh, thoughts that you might have from future episodes, uh, from your own studies. Uh, You can also send criticisms to uh, Spencer. He'd love to hear those. Have to do it on Twitter. That's the only proper place for arguments. Amen. Uh, not Facebook anymore. Uh, but you can get a hold of us on Facebook at Thinking Theologically, or if you're friends with us on uh, our personal pages, you know, get a hold of us there. I talk to uh, a couple people about the show from time to time. So love to hear from you all. Uh, go check out thinkingtheologically.org, the overlap of heaven and earth. While well, we talked about that on a podcast, uh, Spencer referenced that earlier. Uh, we have an article that's on the website. And if you don't see our Facebook page or check out the website, then you've probably missed it. So uh, go and check those things out. Uh, and as always, you can reach us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's a wrap on new heavens, new earth, new creation stuff uh, for now, at least. I'm sure we'll refer back to one or several of these episodes uh, for as long as we're doing the podcast. But it's been good. Can't wait to see what comes next. I'm sure Spencer's thinking the same thing. Yeah, I can't can't wait to see what comes next either. We're all going to wait in anticipation to see what comes next. Uh, But it's going to be great, and we look forward to getting back to recording these and whatever comes next. And thank you all for listening to this and so many of our episodes before and all the ones to come. We'll see you next time.